לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Park Street Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamet in Highland Park, New Jersey at the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Jimmy Emmett. Joining me are my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, back from Israel, Salman Shekhtar Day School of Long Island. Welcome back. We have, we hope you had a wonderful, wonderful time. With all due respect to the Parsha, Elliot, it was an amazing trip. Amazing Parsha. <laughs> Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky in New York City, Anshay Chesed in New York City. And it's great to have you all. And we are saying hello to our good friends at Machanenu, Machanerama Berkshires, where this is being broadcast and rebroadcast and rebroadcast. And thank you to Mitch Mernick and all of the radio people at Camperman, the Berkshires. We are so glad to be a part of your Hachanah Shabbat, right? Where at this point on Friday afternoons or whenever this is being played, Everybody is in the shower. And good thing that you are in the shower because it's been hot, I'm sure. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we want to do something a little different for this Parsha talk and focus on the period that we're in, the three weeks. It started with Shiva Sarba Tammuz, the fast of the 17th of Tammuz, which was actually held on the 18th of Tammuz this year because uh, 17 Tammuz was a Shabbat, which started... A week ago, last Sunday, so it's we're already well within the three-week period. We had the first Haftarah of admonition, and we are going to be having the second one, and then the Chazon uh, Parsha, the Haftarah. What we're saying is that the 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 calendar, the Jewish calendar, brings us into contact with these individuals. There are three individuals. There's a prophet, Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah. There's a prophet, Yeshayahu. And there's another prophet who we think also either had the name of Yeshayahu or was tacked into the book of Yeshayahu. Maybe his name was like Ed or something. <laughs> Myron. It was actually Myron. <laughs> Irving or whatever. But he's the guy that his, his prophecies are included at the end of the book of, of Isaiah from chapter 40 on, and there are various theories about who, who that could have been. But there are three individuals, they're prophets, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and the second Isaiah. Um, and we have to think about what they're saying, how they're saying it. And first question would be, who are these people? What, what is a prophet? And what kind of, it's like Heschel wrote this book called The Prophets. I'm holding my copy up here. Jeremy, you have your copy there? Okay. And his, he has, his first chapter is, What Manner of Man is the Prophet? Uh, and can we just dip into that for a second? Can we just talk about what Wait. manner of man is the prophet? Before, before we do that, I, I, don't, I don't think, I think we want to just, for our listeners who may not be quite up on this, we talk about the three of rebuke, the three Haftarah sections between the 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av. Uh, 
are negative, negative excoriations. Jeremiah in two of them and the very beginning for chapter one of Isaiah, they, they let the people have it with just the full <laughs> dose of criticism about why the people, you know, how the people have gone bad and how they have to turn around. Uh, and, and this is appropriate for this time of year because the 17th of Tammuz is a, is a fast day, beginning the, the morning period. Tisha B'Av is, is the nadir, I was going to say climax, but it's the bottom of that, of that suffering period, commemorating the destruction of the temples, both temples, the first in 586 BCE, the second one in 70 CE, and all kinds of other bad stuff. And we as Jews, Jewish people, um, at some level, we talk about the bad stuff that our enemies did to us, and Nebuchadnezzar was terrible, and Vespasian was terrible, and, and at some level, we talk about the fact that we have uh, gone wrong ourselves, and bad things happen um, to people. You know, I don't, I don't think we would say directly as punishment, but certainly as consequence of having a, a bloody, cruel society. Lo and behold, uh, you know, you, you suffer exile when you have when you have a cruel and vicious society. So that's what these haftarot are about. And now, so now, as Elliot has raised the question. Who are the people who deliver these these messages? Right, and and so I mean, can we can we give a kind of character sketch of like a general character sketch? And you know, the the Bible has several of them. You know, we have the major ones: Yirmiyahu, Yeshayahu, Yechezkel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and we have the minor prophets. They wouldn't want to be called minor by their mothers, by the they way. They were AAA. Okay. <laughs> they were AAA. <laughs> but, okay, so so Heschel does say in the book, The Prophets, he says these people are totally engaged with the world. They're totally attuned to God. They, they are, in, I don't want to say enraptured, but they are infused with what he calls the divine pathos meaning they they feel what god feels they are human they are they communicate with language but through their remarkable talent which we would identify as poetic talent linguistic talent they are able to convey the the pathos the feeling of god in their own vocabulary to the people and that's not a popular thing to do sometimes especially when god has some harsh things or when they when they sense from god the the impending doom of the people for for their abandonment of god Jer uh, uh, barry you you want to so i mean there are many different ways one could go there's a wonderful essay by uh Shindalek goitain one of the great um historians of the Jewish people, in which he suggests that the book of Yonah, which we read on, at Mincha Yom Kippur, is a dramatic portrayal of the dilemma of the prophet, who stands in the, a precipice, we would say today, although the expression in the Bible or rabbinic thought is, he's in the, the gateway. He's trying to uh, stem the breach. So the prophet, on one hand, has to deliver God's message to the people. And when the people get the message, they're not so happy to hear from God. His second job is to take the people's message back to God. And God is not so happy with the people's response, which doesn't leave the prophet with a lot of maneuverability. And it's the 
what comes through in some of the prophets is very painful, a lonely existence because you just can't get through. You can't get through to the people. You can't quite get through to God because there's something wrong with the world in which you live that you can't control or contain. And I was thinking, listening to the beginning, that we don't really think of prophets as being old men. It seems to be a young man's job. And um, there are some female prophets, although none in Nevi'im Achronim, the portion of the prophets that have the name prophets. They appear in Sefer Malachim, the Book of Kings. But, you know, it, I, I sometimes get the sense of moody adolescents who are enraged that the world seems to be amok and no one sees it but them. Jeremy, I mean, are they charismatic figures? Are they, I mean, your your own uh, reflection on 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 this, and maybe maybe as a, a spring to this reflection, you might want to look at you know, I mean the 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 first verses of that the the first chapter of Jeremiah where he says, "Beterem etzorcha babeten yedaticha." Before I created you in the womb, I selected you, and and that kind of self reflection from Jeremiah, who is pre- projecting on to God the the sense that. God knew you. God knows me. It's it's. I don't. How does how do you understand that yeah. verse? <laughs> well, Jeremiah is, is exactly that. He is. Um, I, we we would at, at some you know kind of clinical level think of him for the reason that you said um, as a narcissist because he he thinks that he he, he has this incredible uh, charismatic gift and that it is an agony to have this charismatic gift. In the course of the book, you know, he says, you know, there's a fire in my bones. You seduced me and I was seduced. You gave me this message. I cannot bear it. I don't want to hear from you anymore. Because he's he's really in, he's, a, he's an, an anguished character um, over this incredibly difficult thing that God has given him. In, in the in the what was in America, the Haftarah last week, the, this first chapter of Jeremiah, he says this line, which I just love so much. And, and if, if there are any of the Hanichim at Camp Ramon, the Berkshire's listening to this, which I can only assume that there are, um, uh, he, Jeremiah says, uh, Oh God, I don't know how, to, I, I can't talk. I'm just a young child. And God says, Don't say I'm just a child, because wherever you go, I will send you, and I will, and you'll speak what I command you. Don't fear your enemies. Don't fear people who are your rivals, because I'm with you. This is just like Moses at the burning bush. Uh, God, really, I got some sheep to watch. I, I really can't do this. And God, God says to him in that Exodus chapter three, who gave a person a mouth? Who, who gave you eyes? Who gave you, um, you know, any of your capacities? You do have these capacities. The prophets are very charismatic people, but exactly as Barry said. Um, they have the, that passionate fanaticism. First of all, Jeremiah and Isaiah, best writers in the Bible. I mean, they're amazing writers. Their poetic power is awesome. Yeah. And to open your ears and to open your heart to their poetic power, like it's, 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 uh, it's just very moving. And, and to fail to do that is to miss a lot of the emotional core of Judaism, but it comes along with, with, uh, you know, 
very, very fanatical, passionate people who are not open for compromise. Like if, if you believe that the Lord has spoken to you and has given you a message and the people near to hear the message, um, you're not likely to say, guys, let's, let's, let's enter a negotiation. You'll get some things you want and I'll get some things I want. No, they're saying they got the word from the Lord. I want you to read the next verse, okay? Because it's, okay, so, so we, we just read verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 in, in the Jeremiah. Uh, I'll, I'll read and I'll get you to comment, okay? So the, then in verse 8, verse 9, it says, This is Jeremiah saying, God put his hand, touched my mouth. And God said, I have put the words in your mouth. Okay, it's one thing to be a poet. It's one thing to be a prophet. But it's another thing to convey to the world, God touched me. God put his hand on my mouth. Put the words, it's like, you know. <laughs> so that is the basic mouth. definition of charisma. Yeah. Of someone who is touched by God. And that's what gives the charismatic his power. But what I'd like to suggest is that perhaps prophecy is the flip side of free will. Most of us want to believe in free will, that we can make choices freely, sometimes wrong choices, but we, we're allowed to make them ourselves. And the prophet, in a sense, cannot make a choice because he is chosen by God. And, you know, especially for young people, I think, I'm not that far removed, I hope, that when we're young, we're looking for a destiny, some way to fulfill our life's dreams and expectation. And I think it's a natural thing. There's this wonderful passage in Alfred Kazin's book, New York Jew, that in the 40s, Saul Bellow used to walk around the streets of New York as if his destiny was unfolding before him. But the prophet has no such destiny because his choice has been removed from him. And it's a, a painful life that he's given, but he cannot do otherwise. I'm not sure I would agree with you. I think, I think you know, at the end of the day, he's got, to, he's got to exert some freedom. I mean, freedom is such a part of the biblical idea, the, the, the Bible's worldview. How could it be that, that this person is really, you know, not free? That that I mean, and and he's got the greatest freedom possible, which is the freedom and the ability to create literally out of nothing things that are to this day inscribed on monuments throughout the world. When you you know think about, I mean, Jeremiah, of course, and and you know nobody nobody matches the power of Isaiah, the second Isaiah. You know, and, and we're, we're jumping a little ahead in the calendar here, but the, the words, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, I comfort you, comforting my people. And and these are, are these together with other, you know, passages in, in these chapters, they are not encoded in Jewish. They're, they're really the the core of, of much of the way we understand ourselves. So, so I, they're, they are they're free people, is what I'm saying. They're not they're 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 in service to God, but they're also completely free in the way that they express themselves. Well, you know, that, that it, it's a great um, polarity that you're talking about because, on the one hand, it's it's quite true that the artistry of these books suggests a great deal of um, 
skilled, crafted expression. And uh, what what is it in in uh, Charles Dickens in the French Revolution? What's that? Uh, Yellow two cities. Yeah, uh, here I you know what does he go? He goes to the guillotine and it's says, "Far, far better thing that I've done." Than I've done. I, he, I, he's got no choice, and yet he chooses it. Right um, here, I stand. I can do no other. Right, the uh, that sense that you uh, that you accept this mission, even though it's very, very difficult. I just want to say one thing about you know we. I think modern people, because if anybody showed up on the street, no matter how poetic they were, and said that they had a message from God we would uh, think that the person probably was having a delusion. Um, and in fact, one of the most famous, probably the most famous story in rabbinic literature, the passage known as the Tanur Shel Achnai in, in Tractate Baba Metziah is this passage in which Rabbi Eliezer is unsuccessful in persuading his colleagues uh, about the truth of his, the, the specific detail of the position is, is not important, and that's actually part of the story. It's a really, really Picayune story, Picayune legal question. And he says, I'm just right. And he invokes miracles to prove it. And uh, and God comes out of the woodwork and finally says, he's right. I'm telling you, he's right. And, and the consensus of the sages is, you don't get to say, I know because God told me. You have to persuade us, and you have not made good enough arguments. And we, we live in, in human society without God breaking through and just telling you, I'm just right. Now, that said, um, we modern people, I think, because prophecy is very, very far from our consciousness and, and we have a kind of a standard epistemology, like you know, you know proper behavior like the way you know anything else from evidence and from argument. Um, so we, we get really excited about these questions of prophetic charisma. One thing that I want to say about these passages in Jeremiah and Isaiah at the beginning, and then late, later on, second Isaiah, which we'll read after Tisha B'Av, the messages of comfort, they're just soaring, they're beautiful, they're not hard, they're not hard to lose your heart to these passages. But what I want to say about the beginning of like Jeremiah and Isaiah is these guys, uh, if I may say, they had some stones, they were not afraid to stand up to the community and say the most uh, controversial, the least uh, encouraging. They were they were brave, brave people. Um, I'll give you an example. Now, here's the beginning of here's a passage in the in the first chapter of Isaiah, which will be the Haftarah uh, on Parshat Devarim, just before the the in this year the day of Tisha B'Av. Shimu Dvar Adonai Sdom Ha'Azinu Torat Eloheinu. Am Amora, he speaks to the Jewish people and says, oh, chieftains of Sodom, listen up, you people of Amorah. I'm tired of you and your stupid sacrifices. You are, you are boring me. You have done all the wrong things. I'm going to give you a path towards return, because Isaiah will go on and say, you know, even if your sins are, are as red as crimson, they can once again be dyed snow white. But he stands up in the in the hearing of all the Jewish people and say, you know who you guys are? Sodom and Gomorrah. You are Sodom and Gomorrah. And the thought of, uh, of a prophet speaking uh, to God, not telling them, you know, how terrific they are, but telling them the very, the very painful truths of their failings, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with their fearlessness. 
You know, it's so it's, I just have to add here, listening to you recite those verses and comment on them, Jeremy, when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, the first person that comes to mind is not Isaiah, but Abraham. And Abraham argues with God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Isaiah is taking God's point of view. Yeah. And I think that where I we may have our disagreement, Ellie, is that I think that the prophet is liberating for the people that hear his words. Not unlike great artists, whatever their field is, music, literature, or the fine arts, can create stuff, art that moves people that experience it, but it doesn't necessarily make that person very happy. They're not necessarily the people we want to be friends with. No. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about poets that, that I have met over the course of the years, you know, some, some who are impressive and some who are not. And, and uh, one in particular, a Canadian poet, uh, I went to his lecture and, and this was a, he was a rather fiery individual um, and, and full, you know, fully possessed of, of his own persona and, and really, you know, walking that walk and the hair and the you know medallion and the you know and all of that and we're jealous of hair of course. i know but but it's 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 the point <laughs> is that, that they 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 there's a certain role and in a way you know we we, we, we were talking about the aspiration for uh prophecy which which you know it, it, it's it's talked about like for example maimonides aspired or even Heschel aspired, or Mordechai, you know, people who were, 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 were trying to encapsulate and to convey their sense of God to the world almost in the way that the prophet did. And of course they did. I mean, Jeremy, you, you met Elie Wiesel. We, we've all, you know, heard, you know, the late Elie Wiesel talk in lectures. He had a kind of demeanor about him, an aura about him. You know, it was a very gentle and uh, kind person. Your side was a few weeks ago, um, but but you know he when when you say prophet, you know modern prophet, maybe people identify would identify him as one. Would you think or or not? Well, I think um, it. I mean, it's interesting because you you just mentioned you know person who was a Shoah survivor who who's most famous in intense writings. Um, first of all, he he never let go of God in a relationship, but he also wrote that God went up in the smokestacks. And so the ambivalence of faith, faith and, 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 and non-faith, um, you know, it's, it, there was a prophetic character or style, but in somebody who was not full of that rage, like MLK in the United States is the person who I think, pro, you know, embodies at some level in the power of his poetic, expression in the fearlessness of his commitment um, in his leadership of people you know martin luther king seems like the the person in modern life that if if we could like, try to imagine who isaiah was like mlk i think comes comes to mind um but you know like, i'm thinking about another jewish book by the way this, this is just a quotation from tractate abu dazara but it forms the structure of uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato's Milsila Sharim is you take these steps and 
and their like cleanliness and and abstinence and discipline and da 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 da, da and they will all lead you ultimately to have prophecy. And that's that's what it says in the Gemara. And then he builds his ethical um, argument about that. And what it, it seems to be what he's saying is that you can live an excellent life in a way that brings you very, very close to the divine, maybe even have that sense of, you know, Heschel's, like you said, prophetic sympathy or, or, or the feeling of divine pathos, like you're really in there with the divine. But I don't think that this kind of um, charismatic stuff is the exact same as the poetic speak truth to power and tell the people the difficult message. And that, I think people like that. You know, pe people will say, you know, we need a prophetic voice on climate change or we need a prophetic voice, uh, you know, about racism and, and all those things. What, what they mean is they want somebody with that soaring poetic power to say, this is the way it really is and really must be. And, and I'm going to tell you some difficult stuff. And when I do that, I'm going to inspire you um, to pursue it and even to, to live your life in consonance with that commitment. You know, I, I, I've spoken about this in my shul and, and, and how, you know, in some ways we are bereft of great oratory today. We, we are not the era of oratory. And you know what? We've had epoch making events over the last, oh, I don't know, 20 something years, you know, starting with 9-11 and before, you know, where, where, you know, we could have used some, some good oratory rather than go out and shop or, or, um, you know, even even over the last uh, couple of years, where 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 we we feel that there are convulsions going on, and that we're looking for just someone to shape our experiences. Give me a word. Give me give me give me a four score and seven years ago. You know, our, give me give me something, and and. I, you know, it's it's we're looking for that, and we're 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 not finding it. It's not coming out of music. It's not coming out of popular culture. It's not coming out of modern poetry. It's not coming out of you know movies or theater. And you, you know, the the, the um, first of all, you know, it's very interesting in American life because whatever else is true, um, the cadence of the Black Church is what is what I think rings in the American ears. And when Amanda Gorman gave that. You know poetry, the po the poem on the Biden inauguration, yeah. and Maya Angelou did it at the Clinton inauguration. Uh, certainly, Martin Luther King. And by the way, Barack Obama had had some of that same cadence, like that. That to the American ear, I, I think, is what people soar on. And you know, for, for whatever that's worth, and for to whatever degree people feel like us 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 white Jewish people feel like. You, you can have some of that, or you really—it's just not accessible to people like us. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's accessible to the culture. I don't think the culture is in tune with that. And and it's a longer conversation. It's it has to do with just where where are we where are we, and and where are we getting our spiritual infusions uh, in, in in language and and you know when when everything is reduced to twenty seconds on TikTok we're in trouble, you know, and, so, and it takes more than 20 seconds to read, you know, the first chapter of Jeremiah, that's for sure. Go ahead, Derek. Well, I would make the suggestion that the image, I think, in secular society of the prophet is the voice calling out in the wilderness. And that image is of the prophet in the wilderness. But I think today, we might say poetically, we are all in the wilderness. And it's very difficult to hear the voice when you're there 
rather than to hear it from afar. The prophet can inspire if we are ready to listen. And, you know, it's striking, Jeremy, that you mentioned the Reverend Martin Luther King because his life and death suggests that there is a tragic dimension even today in the prophetic voice. And I was struck by the comment about Elie Wiesel, when I was in high school, I read all of his books. He'd only written eight or 10 by then. Um, and they were all infused with the Holocaust. But as he got older, even though the Holocaust was never far from what he was writing about, he wrote about so much more. You know, he had the Bible tales, he had other tales that, and he was fortunate, I think, to have lived a long life, that he was able to transcend the tragedy of his early life with a long life as, as a survivor. But not everyone is privileged to do that. And he could only inspire people who were willing to listen. If you were, as I'm sure you remember, when he asked Ronald Reagan, President Reagan, not to go to Bitburg, Reagan said, I'm going to go. Yeah, but it was it was a it was a great moment. It was a it was quote unquote a prophetic moment. It was Nathan speaking to David. It was you know I, Isaiah. It was the rebuke. It was the public rebuke of the the leader of the free world. Bitburg. It's not your Mr. President. It is not your place. Your place is with the survivors. Your place is with the victims. You know, and and those words. You know, still. I mean, years later, decades later, they give a chill. And they and, do. But I think what people see when they look back is that Reagan went to Bitburg. The voice that they remember is secondary to the event. But it's framed. No, I look. We Jews, we framed that visit with Elie Wiesel, and 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 that's the point. And and maybe this is you know we're we're we're, we're kind of ending our time here, which is the 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 prophetic readings that we are served up with over these weeks, the weeks now and the seven weeks after Tisha B'Av, they frame the way we process the events of thousands of years ago, 2,000 years. If we didn't have Isaiah, second Isaiah, I, look, we wouldn't be here. There's, I, I, well, we wouldn't have the show today, I would grant you that. <laughs> 100% correct. You know, no, because because he gave it lifted up the spirits of the people and it, it enabled the people to say, you know what, there is hope. We can go on. Our, our, because, our, but this our has to apply. Go ahead. Agree, but this has to apply also to the first part. That is to say, um, you know, it, the rabbi said that Isaiah is is all nechama and Jeremiah is all tochecha and Ezekiel is split 50 50. Uh, that's probably not correct about any of them because there's there's correction in Isaiah and there's hope in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God knows what that guy was doing. So I don't know if it was 50-50, but um, we would not be here were it not for second Isaiah. It kept the spirits of the Jewish people alive. It's, it's Those words are the most stirring in, in the entire Hebrew Bible. But we also need those first chapters and the, and the um, seriousness of the critique. Natan to David, you are the you know, you are the guy who has who has abused the poor. But um, I want to just point out something. Our listeners maybe don't don't know this thing. Tractate Sanhedrin, very very long tractate, and then Tractate Makot, three other three other chapters at the end of it. It's really one big long tractate, even though we divide it into two. It's really one um, about um, judicial process and 
crime and 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 long, 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 long sections about all the very various averot, all the all the all the transgressions and the punishments that come with them, death penalty, etc. Um, and in the very last page of Makot, so if you think of it as one long, long, long track that you were talking about, you know, 140 folio pages of Talmud, uh, they they ask, they they say that there's 613 mitzvot. Can we boil them down? Can't can't we sort of organize them? And then they take citations from this is one from from the Psalms of David, but then the rest are Isaiah and Hosea and Micha and and uh, uh, ultimately we end up with Habakkuk and Amos. Those things come from the prophets. Who these are not? This is this is like after all this legal stuff, and we ask about the six hundred thirteen mitzvot. Then they start telling us about things like Dirshu. Asut stakab dirshu mishpat, or you know whatever the dirshu. Uh, I forget the words right now. Um, uh, you know, asot um, mishpat uh, v'avat chesed. Big God and live, and the man lives by his faith. Yeah, the tzaddik be'emunato yichia. The prophets are the people who not only tell you the rules, but they tell you the the overall sweep. Yeah. And they not only tell you what to do and what the story means, but they give it that poetic um, shaping to tell you how to feel about it and to tell you what you're looking for, not only in the rules, but the, but the beyond the rules and not only in the story, but beyond the story. And so one of the reasons why I would say we wouldn't be here without second Isaiah or first Isaiah or Jeremiah or the rest of them is the religion couldn't endure and make sense unless we actually have not only do this, do that, you know, be rewarded with this and be punished with that. But, uh, but here's what you're, here's what you're seeking in Mishpat and Staka and Chesed and all the virtues that make this religion real. Absolutely. So what I would add to what you said, and you express it very beautifully, Jeremy, is that what second Isaiah brings us to is the Yamim Noraim, because in the calendar, we're going to have the seven weeks of that's comfort, great. and that's going to be followed by Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and then, of course, the festival of Sukkot. And it may be that what Second Isaiah allows us is to bring us to Yamim Noraim, to the days of awe and to the day of judgment as individuals. You know, many years ago, I thought that we have these three weeks because our redemption as individuals first depends on us locating ourselves as part of a people. So we mourn historically these three weeks the destruction of the temple but that is to prepare us for our personal redemption which we hope each year we will be vouchsafed by god at the conclusion of yom kippur and in order to get us there we need to hear the prophetic voice so it may be that the prophets speak more to us as individuals than they do as a people so we we we, we made this excursion uh, away from the journey in the desert but but what you're saying, Barry, is that, that we're on a different kind of trajectory now, a different kind of path. And, you know, having we this week, we are completing in the diaspora, the book of Bamidbar, Matot Masay, uh, together. And um, we, oh, it, it, everywhere we're completing the, the book of Bamidbar. Chazak, chazak, venit chazek. It should be, we should be strong, strong, and together strengthen each other. And dip in to, to the words of the prophet. It's difficult, complicated material, challenging material. But um, if we can be somehow moved by the things that they have said, uh, 
and and really start a conversation about well what what is it that they're trying to say to us and what is it that uh, we need to hear and and how passionate and engaging they were and how we have all been shaped and framed by these words i think that that will be a great conversation in the meantime i want to thank you all for watching listening to us and say shabbat shalom shabbat shalom, shabbat shalom. see you again next week on another edition of parsha